0: With John Munn's Blood on the Deck TV show right now on Amazon. Go check it out. It is 10 episodes. You definitely want to get into that TV show. We talk with John about the show. We talk about his journey and inspiration into deep sea fishing, the camaraderie that comes with the TV show, and then also some of his favorite ocean-based movies. We are supported by Mammoth Fuel. Mammoth Fuel Bars were created with people like you and mine using only natural ingredients and zero artificial junk. We took no shortcuts in developing this highly functional and portable fuel bar. What are the benefits you may ask? Portable on-the-go fuel, post-workout recovery, boost cognitive function, aids in weight loss, anti-inflammatory, and low sugar. With 13 grams of protein and only 4 net carbs. Mammoth Fuel is the perfect meal, snack, and energy bar where you'd like to go. Try Mammoth Fuel at mammothfuel.com. Welcome to the new normal, where we're talking current events, finances, philosophy, preparedness, and more. My name is Sal, and with me as always is my good friend Quentin. Each week, we dive into those various topics and bring you an inspiring person or message to navigate the world with a positive mindset in this new normal. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now, here we go.
1: It happens. Shit will buff. buff out. <laughs> By the way, you just I'm, I'm assuming I was about to say I'm... Oh, are you guys recording right now? Yeah. I always pick up a, a, little, a little bit of conversation before the show
0: and kind of lead it in.
2: We'll edit all of your tooth problems out if you want to. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> um, anyway, we're here tonight with John Mons, a friend of mine, and he has a program called Blood on the Deck. Now, y'all are on Amazon Prime. Where else can uh, guests find you?
1: So currently, we're exclusively on Amazon Prime, um, but we are uh, working with our aggregator to actually expand out to some of the other streaming services. We're in talks with uh, Netflix as well as Hulu right now. Hopefully, within the next few months, uh, we'll be able to pick up a couple more platforms um, and then really kind of start expanding out from there. What's all involved in that? involved in as far as going to act the uh the actual streaming networks yeah so i've, I've never
0: dealt with any production that that had to be aggregated other than our, our podcast so I'm, I'm interested how these different shows i have a friend who has a homesteading youtube channel who created a documentary and just the other day i'm, I'm going through amazon and i'm like hey your documentary's on here
1: well, the nice thing about Amazon is you can actually go direct distribution by yourself. You don't have to utilize an aggregator to go to Amazon. Um, the, the process is fairly simple. Um, basically, you go into a licensing agreement with your product with Amazon, and uh, they have a certain percentage that they take from uh, direct sales, uh, rentals, as well as a percentage based on viewership. Um, but you can actually go to Amazon by yourself. The reason why we picked up an aggregator is because of the uh, traction that we had behind Blood on the Deck when we were first looking at going into post-production and release. Um, We were in negotiations with a few different uh, media outlets, um, outdoor channel, discovery channel, um, and we were really just trying to find the best path forward. And so when you're actually navigating those different uh networks it really helps to get an aggregator who this is their entire specialty this is what they focus on is production uh distribution and uh advertisement um so we went on with a a smaller aggregator um that i met through a good friend of mine ironically he actually predominantly does faith-based uh material and we're one of his outside the boxes, but uh, he's a good guy and uh, he's, he's actually the one that does the direct negotiations through his network that he's built up over the years with these different procurement entities from these streaming services.
2: So if you wouldn't mind, we kind of jumped in the technical aspect before we really <laughs> talked a whole lot about what the show was. Uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, telling the audience what your show is, what you do, and uh, what was your inspiration behind
1: this? Yeah, absolutely. So Blood on the Deck is a uh, sports fishing competition TV show. What we do is we take a team of firefighters, a team of police officers, and a team of veterans out for a three-day, three-night uh, traditional uh, international billfish tournament-style competition. Um, each team is led by a social media or personality from uh, somewhere in the Veteran First Responder uh, community. Uh, the first season, we had Melibana recipient, Dakota Meyer. Um, we had TV uh, or, uh, media personality, uh, Richard High, who is uh, known for doing Angry Cops, Angry Drill Sergeant, uh, as well as Jared Taylor, JT, from the Black Rifle Coffee Company, Article 15. Um, and the drinking bros kind of community. Um, and they go out and most of these guys have never been deep sea fishing before in their life. And I know a lot of people that think of fishing, think of it as pretty much, you know, you go out, you throw a bobber out there, you wait around until a fish hits it. Um, I think that's how a lot of these guys came into it, uh, with their expectations and, uh, they learned pretty quickly that, uh, <laughs> it can be a little bit more difficult than you would expect and it can definitely wear you out. Um, the inspiration that that brought me into developing the idea for this TV show was uh, I've been a big uh, international sports fisher for a long time. I've been fortunate enough to get to fish uh, all over the world for some of the best you know, sports fish that you can go and chase down. But um, I was out with some friends of mine and uh, we had chartered a boat fishing one day and it was a bunch of veteran guys. And we were talking about how... How peaceful, how serene it is when you 're hundreds of miles from the shore, you don 't have cell phone activity, you don 't have internet activity, and you 're just away from all of it, and how it gives you kind of a breath of fresh air and you 're able to really, really refine yourself um, out in that environment and uh you know i I looked at it and I said, "Hell, I was like, you know, this could actually be something that is even bigger." Um, and used in a therapeutic sense. And from that, I started trying to develop the idea of how we would fund such an organization that allows us to bring veterans and first responders out on these deep sea fishing trips. And that's where we came up with the idea of the TV show was we can not only bring up to nine to 12 guys out, per season, but we can use that to bankroll what our eventual initiative is, which is to build this 501c3 up that helps bring all these you know, deserving American heroes out into an environment where they can really reset and kind of re-gauge, uh, you know, re-ground themselves. And did you already have a, a background in media production to lead you into this? <laughs> So uh I I was a a actor for a while. Uh I did equestrian stunt work. Um I worked on AMC's the sun as well as a bunch of independent projects. Um but outside of that, no, it was more of a hobby than it was really a, a true passion. I have a, you know, small background academically and uh you know classically trained performance arts but again that's on the acting side I never I'd never tried to go out and do my own uh my own production you know from the ground up but uh I have a I have a bit of a mantra about that if you got enough money and enough stubbornness and you sit there and throw it at it something's gonna happen
0: for sure and talk to me a little bit about your your prior service so you were in the U.S. Army but you were also uh, part of the College Station Police Department and the Alpine Fire Department. Where did you, where did you get the passion to start helping your your fellow brothers in arms to to get them out of this kind of funk that they might be in? And was it the passion in the deep sea fishing and the passion to help them that really led you into this uh, particular genre of not only TV show but helping these other veterans. So you have like Chris Kyle who would take folks out to the gun range and, you know, that would be a therapeutic setting for them, but obviously it wasn't a TV show. Can you talk to me a little bit about your time in the service and and kind of what led you into acting and then the show ultimately?
1: Yeah. So, um, I joined, uh, when I was in high school, I joined the U S army, but I did it via the, uh, Texas army national guard. And, um, in that whole guard, soldier, citizen kind of lifestyle, you have to balance when you're not deployed or when you're not on extended orders with some sort of a civilian career. So while serving consecutively within the military as a guardsman between deployments, between, uh, you know, like I said, those, those activation orders, Title 32, Title 10 orders, you had to have this other career. Um, when I first went to college, I was in the Alpine Fire Department uh, really met a lot of a lot of great guys in the fire service industry thought about doing that full-time as a career on the civilian side and then learned exactly how competitive fire services are <laughs> and uh, so i went with i guess the quote unquote next best thing and i became a law enforcement officer um so i got to um experience you know, what it is that these men and women go through on a daily basis. And I'll tell you what, law enforcement is of the three, probably by far the most difficult industry that I've ever worked in. It is, it is a real, real soul checker. Um, and then from that, you just develop these networks and these, these friendships that, you know, will last through through the rest of your life. And uh, like I had said, you know, I've always been kind of a big sports fisherman. And I had that group of veteran buddies of mine out on the fishing trip. And as I'd mentioned before, we talked about, you know, how it makes us feel being out there on the water. And I know that, you know, there's, there's a lot of spotlight put on it within the veteran community, how stress, you know, uh, kind of Capstones up and builds up on people, and they'll they'll wind up, you know, going into darker places or really trying to fight these things alone. Um, I would say that it's just as equally prevalent in the uh, in the law enforcement uh, first responder community, and so anything where this essentially control group of of veterans can sit there and confide in me that this has really really given them a whole new perspective on regrounding themselves is is what really connected with me. And I thought, you know, this can be bigger. Um, this can definitely be something that that reaches out and allows us the ability to kind of give some sort of tool, right? And you know, mental health and well-being isn't some, you know, magical one shoe fits all kind of kind of deal, but having as many tools in the toolbox that you can have to help combat these issues because not everybody's an outdoorsman. Not everybody wants to go and spend three days on a boat, pitching around on the ocean, chasing these fish, but there are those veterans and first responders that this is right up their alley. And this is something that they can use to really help them in their, their reconnection with, with themselves, more importantly, with themselves as well as with their brothers and sisters.
2: So what's some of the exchanges like that you get on the boat? I imagine there's some mad trash talking and, uh, you know, some rowdiness some fun out there.
1: Um, well, I mean, uh, so there was, there was some, some, uh, some, some trash talking, but for the most part, um, you know, on, on all three teams, I saw kind of a similar pattern of of getting into the role of what deep sea fishing is. Like I said, uh, I don't think of anybody that was on the first season, any of them had ever been deep sea fishing except for maybe one or two guys. So this was just complete, you know, a complete set of greenhorns going out and doing this. And so the path that I saw all three different teams take was the pre-launch evening where all the teams were hanging out with each other, tying on a few brews, having a good time. And, Then there was the run out to the fishing grounds. And that run out was, to me, one of the most entertaining parts because uh, I had advised these guys about Dramamine and Dramamine dosis and how you need to really start about three days before we went out there. And sure enough, as soon as we got to run out, we're in the middle of a pretty decent storm. So all three of the boats hit pretty rough weather. And all these greenhorns are pretty much tossing up everything that they had consumed the night before in the pre-launch celebration. So that was phase 1 was learning how how terrible it can be on your way out. And then the second phase is everybody in kind of this holding pattern of what did I get myself into? I can't believe that I'm out here on this boat, you know, this isn't nearly as fun as I thought it was going to be until that first line pops off when that first line pops off you see the third phase which is that whole new level of energy that kicks into all these guys you know their ears perk up they're standing upright, they're running around and you you see throughout the show you see a bunch of random guys trying to do what is actually a coordinated effort in team fishing pretty poorly but by the end of the season, they're working like a well-oiled machine. And that's one of the things that's indicative of this entire community, indicative of your first responders and your military uh, personnel, is the ability to actually come in, adapt, and overcome. And you get to actually see that grow to fruition during the full season. And it's a, it's a fascinating thing, and I absolutely love it. I mean, that's probably my favorite takeaway of the show, is watching these guys grow together and work with their teams.
2: That's awesome. I had to ask about the trash talking, you know, because coming from the Le community, you know, we don't like to talk trash on our, on our fire brothers, but you know, we have a lot in common, you know, we both wanted to be cops. When we grew up,
1: you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I actually, <laughs> I received, uh, I received so it was a, a shameless a, joke. I, I received a message um, the other day, a video message from, angry cop from, from Richard High. And uh, I would love to post it, but he told me not to post it. And essentially, he was chewing me out because it was the first time he had watched the show. And he didn't realize that his boat was almost half the size of Dakota Myers' boat. And so I got a profanity riddled video message saying oh i thought we were friends you you, what the hell you got me on this dinky little thing and dakota myers on this giant battleship (laughs) so no there there was there was some smack talking as a matter of fact i think that richard sent the firefighter team in dakota a uh Firefighter calendar, as well as some baby oil to rub wow. all over themselves. Um, so yeah, yeah. There, there was a little bit. There was a little bit of a little bit of smack talking, a little bit of a little bit of light-hearted jostling. Some extra pillows. Yeah, for <laughs> for the most part, you know, the guys, uh, the guys just really were were, were top of line. They're were, they're great, awesome.
0: So naturally, when you get a bunch of alpha men like that on on one little confined area the the truest of the alphas then tends to come out were were there any conflicts in that respect you know where where they were kind of competing for i guess how the how do these teams work out is there some sort of hierarchy for for the ship and then were there any issues when it came to following orders or who was in charge who was going to be reeling it in who was going to be doing this and that
1: so the the way that these boats work is so you have who is our, our quote unquote team captain is the media personality or the, you know, the actual quote un like for, for using a term in the media industry, the talent uh, um, you know, Dakota Meyer, JT and, uh, and Dick um, those guys are the team captains. But the reality is, is these sports fishing teams that, that run these boats are really serious players, right? They, they take this, this sport, this is their livelihood. They take it very seriously. And so I would say the person who runs the show is the actual boat captain. And then under him are his deckhands. And those three are really the ones that dominate how things play out who's on the reel, who's doing what, how you do things, how you work around things. Um, you know, We were fortunate enough to have a pretty diverse uh, group of, uh, of actual boat captains for this first season. Uh, we had a very good friend of mine, uh, Max Harden, who unfortunately uh, passed away, lost his battle with cancer last year um, after we finished filming the show. Um, who had been a competitive sports fisherman for you know the last thirty years, and then we had Captain Ann Johnson, who is one of the longest-running competition sports fishing female captains in the United States, and she's been fishing for forty-some odd plus years. Um, and then we had uh, a third captain who is more of the uh, more of the personal private style sort of sports fishing captain. So you got a very big range of of personalities of the people that were in charge during the filming of the show but as far as you know that that alpha attitude personality come out um we didn't see any and this is something that we're we actually kind of were were trying to make sure that we maintained in the show we didn't want to see drama this isn't the jersey shore if you want to watch trash tv Go tune into whatever channel that stuff's on. This is more about showcasing the positive attributes, showcasing that brotherhood, that camaraderie, that friendliness. Um, and I'm I'm happy to say that I didn't see any any of the claws come out at all. Even though so these, these guys are in close confines for you know three days, three nights. Right. So there wasn't any producer on the sideline saying, wouldn't it be good if you create a little bit more drama here? Hey, what did you think about what he said here? So that was actually one of the uh, one of the networks. And I, I won't say who for for legal purposes but one of the networks that we were in negotiations with actually came to us and was like no we want you to focus on bringing in more drama or hey what if these guys you know got in a fight over losing a fish yeah, or that's terrible. you know what if this and and you just said hey you know thanks no thanks we're not we're not interested so you're also as, dealing with
0: veterans who and, and law enforcement officers and, and firefighters who already have that fuel of adrenaline that you don't need to right. add to that or conflate it with exactly. drama or fiction just to create a narrative right because I mean you're, you're there and it sounds like this show is just you know a, a wonderful th- experiment and, and therapy and getting to see these these individuals who may have had something traumatic happen in their life or maybe they're just looking to get away and to try to introduce drama into that just seems right. selfish and, and irresponsible really
1: well, and it cheapens it, right? I mean, that's, you know, one of the, one of the things that, um, so when I came up with the idea for this show, um, I was the sole investor in it, and then I have brought on a total of uh, four other uh, military veterans as well. I- ironically, the entire production staff is made up of military veterans. We have a uh, prior uh, F-18 pilot from the Navy. We have a forward observer from the Army a former infantry officer and a former intelligence NCO. Um, and that was one thing that we really kind of took as our, our hard line was we're not turning this into some sort of you know trash production just to chase a buck. Because again, the end goal of this show isn't actually to make any money. It's to make money for the charity that we can then set up and use to bring deserving men and women out on these adventures to really help them go out and re rediscover themselves.
2: Yeah. So, you know, it, there's plenty of shows out there now that are just cheaply edited and, and intentionally dramatic or use dramatic editing. And I, I don't even watch that stuff. I can't, I can't watch it. I don't even think I've even attempted to tune into something like that since I was a teenager. One of my wife and I, our, our favorite show as far as a reality show was actually the editing in the last season was kind of interesting, but uh, the first two seasons of The Last Alaskans, and they just follow these people around in their lives. You know, it was really well done, very classy. It was almost like a classic documentary, you know, just of these people's lives. And it you connected better with the characters. You, you know, it wasn't gimmicky. It, it didn't seem cheap. It, it was just had good impact you know and so I respect that and honestly it's the right direction to go because I mean if you wanted to rile guys up that have you know a high stress level they're already at 9900 RPMs you could easily do it and just and just create so much drama on those boats it wouldn't even be funny and that's just not that's not the thing you're looking to do and it would be probably very counterproductive, especially in the, you know, creation of your 501c3. So I I like, I agree. I greatly respect that. I hope somebody picks the show up and takes it seriously and, you know, runs with your vision and, you know, do you have any potential uh, large contracts coming up?
1: So again, like I said, we're in negotiations with, uh, with some, some other streaming services. Um, the, the decision to go forward on Amazon, Um, At the beginning of the year came about because from that, we're able to grab our organic viewing metrics. And then with those actual organic numbers, we can then go to different networks, to different aggregators, to different distributors and say, here's our product and here's actual real data of its viewership organically based when we just released by ourselves. Um, so that was part of the big reason why and also our fan base was getting a little ticked off that we had been in post production for like a year and a half. They were ready for the show to come out. So <laughs> I felt that it was only fair that that we were uh, releasing it out to them sooner rather than later. What's the
2: response been by the audience? Uh, how do they feel about the show and generally uh, what's the mood and the takeaway from watching?
1: So so far we have five star rating. Um, I don't know how many actually I didn't didn't look before the show or before the podcast I should have Um, I don't know how many ratings uh, actual reviews we've had so far but last I checked we were still maintaining five stars Uh, everybody's enjoyed it Um, we've done an interesting control group whenever we first decided to release and from uh, you know young teenagers all the way up to your typical, you know, stay at home moms to anybody that's even outside this veteran first responder community, we've had nothing but positive feedback. Um, And that was another part of the packaging of this show. The packaging of the idea that went into this show wasn't we didn't want a TV show that was exclusively for veterans and first responders, right? We didn't just want that irreverent service humor. We wanted some of that. But more importantly, we wanted to actually reach out to broader Base of of the audience, not only so they can learn the you know learn about these guys and how they work together and how much they care about each other, but also learn about the fish, learn about our wildlife fisheries, learn about the absolute stunning raw beauty of the ocean. And you know, I was really fortunate with my director of photography, who's a, a man that I've worked with on a bunch of different TV shows. And when I asked him to be a part of the project. Um, First of all, he did not know it was going to be on the ocean. And uh, <laughs> when, I dropped, when I dropped that on him, he wasn't overly happy. Um, but he had already committed. So too bad, too sad. But uh, he, he has probably one of the most artistic eyes of any filmographer that I have, I've ever, ever worked with. And it shows in the product. I mean, just stunning mm. panoramics. I mean, just amazing footage. And he is such an artist when it comes to making sure that the editing, that the placement, that the shots, that the transitions, everything went so fluidly together. I mean, if you gave it a different kind of general background and a different narrator, it might as well be on planet Earth.
0: <laughs> wow. Talk to me about the process that it took to get these um, different individuals, the veterans, the LEs and the firefighters. How did, you, how did that selection process work out?
1: So interestingly enough, when, when we were still in planning phases, I had reached out to a variety of uh, individuals because, um, again, I needed to build the known names before I was able to fill the general cast because um, otherwise there's no way that you're going to go out, out to this community and say, Hey, send me a bunch of your personal information and we're going to put you on a TV show. Right. So um, I remember sending an email to Dakota saying, Hey, uh, I got this idea about something. And Dakota rocketed back with a phone call like the next day. and He's like, Hey, this is Dakota Meyer. and I was like, Oh, wow this is this just got real right and uh you know from from the very get get go he was a huge supporter of the program and he loved the id loved the concept um and so he allowed us to really tie his name to it and from that i was able to get jt on board with black rifle coffee company and then jt actually was one that referred dick uh over uh angry cop richard high Um, And then once we had those three guys in place, I was able to go out to the veteran and law enforcement community and really push it saying, hey, send in your submission to be on either the firefighter team, the police team or the veteran team. I need a short bio and I need, you know, uh, your your personal information. And what we did from that is we did a 100 percent random draw. If you submitted for the police team, we took every name from the police team put it in a hat, shuffled it around, drew out three names, and that's who you were. And that's how we did the selection on that. As far as selecting the boats, I leaned heavily on my, my sports fishing experience for this, going out, reaching these different boat captains. And interestingly enough, for the potential second season, we've got a way broader list of people that are wanting to be one, participants, and two, boat captains that are wanting to sacrifice their time and, and vessels to actually come out and be on the show as well so it's it's awesome. it's an amazing process as you see it actually start to build up momentum and roll into its own and I think that we're set up uh, you know God grant us the the success in the first season to be able to do our second season uh, to really 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 have an outstanding second season awesome.
0: What was the criteria for, for any of these individuals who were um, trying to apply? Was there a threshold? Were you specifically looking for a specific type of veteran, someone who's gone through PTSD, or was it just open to veterans, law enforcement, firefighters?
1: Our, our restrictions were you had to have served, you had to been discharged honorably if you've been discharged. And then other than that, it was fair game. Um... We, in the fire service, and this is another thing that we were able to kind of showcase on the TV show and talk about a little bit, um, and we'll probably talk about it more in the second season, is one of the interesting things about the fire department is most people don't know that over 80% of your firefighters in the United States of America are actually volunteer firefighters. These are men and women who go and, and fight fires that put their lives on the line That actually don't get paid to do so, and that was a fascinating fact that that I knew from my fire background, but that we were able to showcase through one of our competitors who was a volunteer firefighter, and um, but but as far as trying to tailor a specific veteran group, um, we had discussed you know what we really wanted, and what we wanted was a a good snapshot of the entire community. So we didn't want to pigeonhole it into one specific type of person. So if
0: you're trying to gear the show or the genre of the show or or even just the therapeutic nature of sports fishermen, is there an opportunity there where you are leaning heavily or leaning more towards veterans and law enforcement firefighters who have gone through PTSD or some sort of traumatic experience? So I
1: I have a very... Unorthodox opinion uh, about about what it is that we kind of use as the as the tagline for veterans and first responders who have gone through traumatic experiences. I first and foremost believe that the term PTSD is more exclusionary than it is inclusive. I, I feel like there's a lot of veterans and first responders that go through traumatic experiences that get left out of the mix, and this is one of the big things that I want to focus on, is the fact that no matter what your experience is in any walk of life, and it doesn't have to be being a civil servant, it can also be from anything that you do in your life, any career field, people deal with stress and stressors of their jobs differently. So what one soldier may experience that doesn't affect them can definitely affect another extremely adversely. And to, to me, trying to target down a specific demographic of veteran first responder to put on the show would do two different things. One, it would exclude those individuals that also have this need for going out and recentering themselves but aren't within that you know, tagged community of, of having PTSD. And two, it puts a definition on someone that has gone through these, these more traumatic experiences that I feel is more of a detractor, a detractor than it is a benefit.
0: Mm. No, that's, that's good. Talk to me a little bit about current events and how you've seen the impact of some of this isolation and the just overall narratives that have been playing out over the last 60 to 90 days. How have you seen that impacting those in that community, whether it be law enforcement, firefighters, or, or veterans, and, and those who have previously been on the show? Have you talked to them about current events and how they're handling it?
1: so i do I do stay in touch with a, with a good number of the the individuals that were on the show um, ironically, I think uh, of people that have been affected negatively by the current situation, veterans and first responders are probably some of the least affected because they're kind of used to the isolation used to the the stress, the hazard, et cetera on a daily basis um, from all the individuals that I've talked to within this community, uh, that were part of the show, uh, everybody's doing great, which is, you know, a blessing, um, outside of that, you know, everybody is just kind of, kind of over it. (laughs) I think that they're, uh, they're all, you know, ready, ready for things to get back to business as normal. Um, but, uh, more, more importantly, what I, I've seen affecting, uh, The the community as a whole isn't how we're dealing with ourselves. It's, It's how we are now viewing your regular civilian population in their response to this. And I have seen a lot of frustration rise from the first responder veteran community towards people that are taking this too seriously or taking this less seriously. You know, depending on whatever side of the spectrum you fall on, um, I feel like it's really emphasized the disconnect of communication expectations between our community and the community of the general civilian population. And fortunately, this being a TV show is another one of those things that hopefully. If a viewer decides to tune in and watch Blood on the Deck, it will give them some sort of an escape from what is going on in mm. the country right now around them. It will give them a little bit of humor. It will give them a little bit of excitement. It will give them a little bit of wonder at nature's beauties. Mm. And to me, it's, it's, it's been, it's been that, that silver lining on a rather dark cloud.
0: And have any of the shutdowns or or just the general state of of affairs over the last few months, has that affected the show or planning of the show for upcoming seasons?
1: No, it hasn't affected our our planning the show for upcoming seasons. Um, Everything production design is done in-house with with our our producer staff. Um, The plan for season two has been pretty well fleshed out. The, the execution of season two, though, is 100% dependent on the revenues generated by the release of season one. So we've, we've plotlined out a 12-month a period of distribution and production uh, or post-production to then try to remake enough money to then dump it entirely back into a season two um, so again, like I had said, the objective of this TV show is, is not to make money for the production staff. The objective of this TV show is to make money for the TV show, which is then able to fuel its charity.
2: So what's your role when you're on the water and when you're not prepping for the show in the evenings? It's like what, what what are you doing? And you know, are, are you running around? Is it super stressful? Are you trying to coordinate everybody?
1: Yelling at people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yelling at people. Yelling at cameramen. Um, threatening to throw people overboard. <laughs> Just uh, no, no. In general, my 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 personal role. Uh, I did take on the role of director. Um, And I think that that's a little too overly gracious for myself because, again, my director of photography is is such a boss that he pretty much ran everything fluidly once I got him used to the fact that he was out on the ocean. Um, And it's it's a working progress because, again, you know that's the other thing a lot of people don't see about television production is you see the talent, right? So you'll see the boat captains, you'll see the deckhands, you'll see the anglers, you know, actually doing what it is that they do. What you don't see is the audio guys. What you don't see is the camera guys um, that also have never been in this kind of situation before. And it was it was somewhat entertaining just watching the learning curve, you know, be broke as they as they got into the swing of things. Um, and uh, I personally tried to stay off camera one hundred percent. I wasn't successful in doing that. We did have a medical emergency on one of the boats where you will see me back when I had my ponytail come running out there to render, render uh, some medical aid. But outside of that, I, I tried very hard to stay off camera and just kind of pushed and prodded people into doing what it was that they needed to do.
2: So how big are these boats and what type of challenges do y'all face in actually filming and, you know, controlling audio?
1: Audio is a nightmare. Uh, that added an additional quarter onto our budget in post-production because we had to bring in a third-party audio engineering firm to really, really freshen up uh, our, our audio tracks. Um, again, What's the biggest one of audio challenge? Engines, engine noise. I mean, all of these boats are running on big twin-engine diesels, and it's, it is a loud environment. Is a very loud environment, um, and you know your little your little pop filter muffler isn't gonna isn't gonna cut out the sound of, you know, a couple of six fifty diesel cats running. Um, secondary to that, the the actual physical space limitations are very difficult to work around as well, especially when you're trying so hard to not get multiple cameramen in your own shot. Um, So we had to do a lot of run and gun style shooting. I mean, at one point in time, I definitely know that I had cameramen like hanging off the second level of the deck on a ladder, you know, with the camera stuck out to the side, trying not to fall in the ocean. Um, But two of the boats were 54 foot vessels, um, which means that your fighting deck space was probably about 10 feet by 15 feet. Um, and that's where most of the action happens, is in, in the fighting deck. So that's very close quarters, especially when you've got all the team members um, that are having to clear the extra lines that are out whenever you have the one line that the fish is on and then you got cameramen trying to work around them then you have deckhands trying to steer the chair get the guys locked into their harnesses make sure that everything's running fine and then on top of it you've got the captain standing up on the flybridge screaming and yelling at everybody to get the hell out of the way because they don't want to lose a fish it's a it's a it's an adventure it is definitely an adventure (laughs) what sport fish we all after. Um, so the the scoring system we actually have the scoring system based off the international Billfish Foundation's uh, tournament scheduling so you have your different types of billfish which are your your marlins, your spearfish, your sailfish so it's black marlin white marlin, striped marlin. Uh, Pacific spearfish, Atlantic spearfish, um, and then your traditional uh, sailfish, those are worth a different variety of points. Your blue marlin being the highest scored number of points. We're exclusively catch and release on the TV show. because I'm a big believer in wildlife conservation. Also, marlin, marlin tastes disgusting. I don't know how people eat that. So there's no reason for me to kill the darn thing. And then what you also have is you have a category, which is called your bonus fish category. And the biggest fish of these bonus species takes all the points. And so you have the yellowfin tunis uh, bonus category. You have the dolphin dorado mahi mahi, whatever you want to call it. It's got about a million different names. We always call it the dolphin fish, which is a bonus category. The wahoo which is also known as onu. Um, it's a big, almost like a giant mackerel sort of species. And then the swordfish. Um, the swordfish is worth more than all the other bonus species because it takes a very specific type of targeted fishing to try to catch a swordfish.
0: What are you doing with all the fish once they're caught? Is there, is there a catch and release? I'm, I'm ignorant on sports fishing.
1: So, so on the, on the billfish, on the actual billfish, so your sailfish, your marlin, your spearfish, um, those are all catch and release. Um, so what you'll have to do, and this is also based off regular International Billfish Association rules and guidelines, uh, you have to leader a fish and positively identify it for it to actually count as a catch. What leadering means is the deck can has to get a full wrap on the leader, which is a a length of either wire or uh, extra thick gauged uh, monofilament line that runs between the lure and the actual main line, and it serves as kind of a buffer to keep the uh, the line from rubbing and snapping. Um, so once it's successfully leadered, identified as a positive fish, um, if it's a marlin, we'll tag it. Uh, we have certain little tagging devices that helps with uh, billfish tracking and research. Um, and then after that, all they do is they pop the line off at the hook and let it go. That hook in the salt water will usually you know, disintegrate out after a few months. Um, and it just leaves the fish, you know, un, uninjured. Mm. As far as the bonus species go, these are all not only edible fish, but extremely tasty fish. So mm. we keep those. Um, we keep all the bonus fish. They're all brought in. All the bonus fish are weighed. And the highest weighing fish out of each category then warns, earns extra points for the team nice. that caught it. And then once we're done weighing them, we actually flay them out, harvest them. Uh, A lot of the deckhands will take a lot of the meat. Uh, Boat captains will take a lot of the meat. And then any of the actual competitors that wanted the meat could also take it. Um, You know, that's a nice thing, right, about going out on these sports fishing tips. You can also leave with, you know, 30, 40 pounds of yellowfin tuna or swordfish or mahi-mahi. So.
0: Yeah, you can't go wrong with mahi mahi. I, I used to work no, at a at restaurant all. that had mahi mahi, and it was so good. What are mahi the lo- mahi
1: is a is a pain in the neck to flay, though, Ooh. because their their lateral bones run out from their uh, from their vertebra all the way out to the edge of the meat. So it's a it's a it's a tricky one to flay. But once you get used to it, it's a it's not too bad.
0: Well, I'm thankful that it was already on the plate for me. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the logistics, and what are you actually shooting on? So I imagine. You know, you're you're shooting digital, so you're not you don't have film out there. But are you running right high end Canon uh, DSLRs? Or are you running professional?
1: <sighs> I would have to turn you over to my director of photography for that. Um, okay, I do know that he's a a big Sony guy. It's it is professional grade cameras. Okay. Um, I do know that on our drone and aerial footage. We learned a pretty hard lesson when we were doing scouting uh, trips. Uh, we lost about a $4,000 drone with about a $5,000 camera on it. Ooh. And we, uh, we then decided that a Phantom with a really nice uh, 4K-capital GoPro was the uh, better alternative. Oh, yeah. And we still got amazing footage out of it. So everything, yeah. was, shot, everything was shot in 4K.
0: Nice. Get a little Mavic Pro next time. Yeah.
1: (laughs) A little cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I remember when the, when the, the big drone launched, we saw it go up. We were near a, uh, oil rig and they've got a lot of, uh, signals jamming, uh, devices on those oil rigs to keep people from trying to film them and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And, uh, it interfered with our, uh, with our drone. Our drone said, okay, now I have to return to, original point and original point was about 300 miles away on the mainland <laughs> and so we saw it sail off for about two miles and then just drop into the ocean oh goodness <laughs> so that that drone had had enough it said deuces boys i'm out it heard the uh, jaws theme and was just like uh-uh, i'm out
0: yeah what's some of the feedback that you've gotten from the cast members
1: the cast members, every single cast member that I have talked to, one had an absolute blast. Um, they, they talked about exactly what it was that I, I you know, targeted with, with this whole program. They talked about, hey, man, you know how nice it was to be out there without a cell phone for three days, not having to worry about work, not having to worry about this, that, and the other. And, um, you know, that was gratifying to me. Uh, Outside of that, um, everything that we've heard back from him was it was a trip of a lifetime. It was an experience of a lifetime because, you know, particularly to the team that gets to go on to the national tournament, um, that's that's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I mean, boat rentals by themselves for these three-day, three nights usually run anywhere from fifteen to $20,000. Wow. And then to actually go and do one of the – across-the-board billfish tournaments can cost you twenty to $100,000.
0: That's amazing. So this isn't like a one-off competition. Like it's part of the process of competing in these, in these tournaments.
1: So the, the way that we've designed the show is we run our own internal three-day, three-night tournament that's based on the same parameters as the actual national international tournaments. And then from the winning team, out of our three teams, we actually sponsor them to go to an official tournament. Um, during season one, it was the Texas Billfish Classic was the uh, the tournament that the winning team got to go and compete in. And that's an actual full-blown tournament with big stake cash money prizes. And the way that we've established it with the team captains is the money that the teams win from the tournament then goes to charity of the team's choosing. Nice. That's so cool. And again, some of these tournaments, uh, you had the Bisbee black and blue back in 2016, paid out about $6 million to the winning team. Wow.
0: And so So, what
1: are are you doing to,
0: fund this? Are, are, are you taking on investors? Are you putting your own capital into this? How did, how did this get off the ground? And, and you were saying that the, the campaign itself is paying for itself through the show and its success, but what are the next steps? Like Where do you see this going and what are you going to need to get it to that next step if the show itself is not producing that sort of revenue?
1: So the, the original financing came exclusively in-house. Um, the, the initial sizzle pilot episode that we put together was bankrolled by myself as well as one of the other producers, the, the F-18 pilot that I had mentioned earlier. Um, we put in the first forty grand together to shoot the pilot episode, and that was enough for us to get the traction to then come up with the interest that justified going forward um all in all full budget for season one was about 160 dollars. I um i would ask my my finance guy better he's probably he's probably sitting there rolling his eyes saying oh it's more than that but you're not tracking it yeah, but it all came from you. in-house and it came through our recruiting of the production team and that's those five guys including myself that really got on board, believed in this project enough to put their own money on the line to bankroll the first season. As far as going forward with future seasons, it's 100% dependent on how we can make enough back from season one to then bankroll season two, and so on and so forth. And everything that we make extra after each season then gets passed back into the holdings of the actual company to start funding these secondary trips. Because the objective of the actual 501c3 isn't just to take people out for the TV show. The objective of the 501c3 is to create essentially a network of boat captains throughout the country. And it doesn't have to be boat captains. It can also be inland freshwater fishing uh, guide services To where if you are a veteran or if you are a first responder and you and your wife and kids are out on vacation to Montana and you want to take the kids out fishing, you can contact the charity through our website. We then track down a guide service, make an arrangement with them to take you and your family out fishing, and then we pay them so the family of the first responder and the first responder themselves or veteran doesn't have to pay for it themselves. That's the end goal of this entire program is it's not just limited to, Hey, we want to keep on making a TV show. It's, Hey, we want to give first responders and veterans and their families access to this amazing tool across the entire country. So great. I'd love to get you in contact just- with impact,
0: uh, impact a impact to hero. That's another veteran organization that I've worked with in the past impact to hero. Um, basically creates this support network and support group for veterans, specifically veterans. Um, I'm not sure where they align with uh, law enforcement and fire, but I'd love to get you in contact with them. Quentin. go ahead.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I love talking to everybody. Uh, We actually are in communication with a 501c3 up in New York called Hooks for Heroes, and we've had negotiations, uh, not negotiations, but discussions. Um, beforehand, really seeing where this, where this direction goes, mainly because they took the name for the charity that I wanted to <laughs> roll this up into. <laughs> but secondarily, because I think that we work towards the same eventual goal, and it's, it's kind of nice to have more people on one, the production side, and then two, the actual charity side, running them organically of each other, but just essentially crossing finances.
2: So what are the objectives, both logistical and financial, that you need to hit to support season two? And what are some ways that people could contact you if they wanted to donate or help support your show and your mission?
1: So as of right now, the the biggest suggestion uh, or the biggest request that I can make of people is to um, go and either rent or purchase the show on Amazon. Uh, right now, it's in its 90-day Rental and purchasing only phase uh, before it goes directly to streaming to to full free free streaming for Amazon Prime members. So if if people really want to support it during this next month, uh, go and rent the show. I think rental is like ninety nine cents an episode. Purchases are like seven fifty for standard definition for the entire season. That's nothing. Yeah, Um, it's easy yeah it's yeah it's it's you cost you your Starbucks coffee right oh, no. um so <laughs> going uh so so going and doing that directly is the biggest contribution that we can get. Um, talking about it, sharing everything on our social media, blotonthedeck.com, deck. Uh, you know, Facebook, blood on the deck, uh, sharing all of that information and just getting people aware of it. Um, as far as donations go, we'd originally started with the idea of of doing a donation system. Um, since then, we've kind of grown away from it because it just doesn't have the the look that we're looking for. You know, we're, we're asking people to participate through their enjoyment of the program. We're not just asking for handouts. Um, obviously, if there's somebody out there that has more money than they, they care to hang on to and they really want to do a big donation, they can hit us up through our contact on the website, bloodonthedeck.com. Um, our, our goal is to essentially make back $150,000 from the first season's production. So we can then spend $150,000 for season two.
0: So are there any opportunities for crowdfunding? So where, where you can do a campaign and have, you know, certain levels of criteria that, you know, a $10 donation gets you a mug, a $100 donation, right. gets you a mug and a t-shirt, $5,000, you're a producer, $10,000, you're an executive producer on the credits. Are, are there any opportunities for that in the future? Or do you see that as even an option?
1: So so again that's that's something that we had discussed whenever we were first trying to figure out how to finance this and we strayed away from that and not detracting from any any organization or any project that utilizes that as as an ability to fund um to us it just seemed like the wrong message for what it is we're trying to do mm-hmm. um and that's why we all shelled the money out of pocket and you know, worst comes to worse. And this is what we've all talked about on the production staff, you know, worst comes to worse. We were able to take nine deserving guys out to hang out with some of their social media heroes, take a good vacation. Uh, we're staying hopeful. We believe in the product, all the feedback that we've gotten. We have no doubt that this is going to be successful, um, as it is. So just organically, um, promoting it and then continuing on to discuss with these these other streaming services and basically multiplying our revenue streams mm. then helps every, every little bit helps get, get us back towards that final goal and then like I had mentioned early on in the podcast um, being able to take the data from viewership even out of just Amazon by itself allows us to go back and really pitch season two into a co-production uh, format with one of these bigger networks. For sure. I definitely think that there would be an opportunity.
0: I, the more I hear about it, the more I would love to just chuck in a buck, right? And, and be a part of it in some little way. I think this is a, an awesome opportunity for, for other veteran organizations to partner with you and, and you know, share resources and share that networking. So you know, when, when that opens up, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, absolutely. You said bloodonthedeck.com absolutely. is where folks can go to now
1: bloodonthedeck.com is our actual website that has all the informationals as well as contact information. Uh, it also has sponsorship uh, opportunities hmm. for actual corporate sponsors. Um, again, the nice thing about this being kind of a competition sports show is the fact that we are able to really look out to some of those, those corporate sponsors that need that plug data. So pen reel, Shimano reels, you know, hook fishing gear, Um, you know, all, all those guys are potential, you know, clients for us going forward as far as plug advertisement goes. And then our Facebook page is where most of our social media contact and sharing goes on. And we don't just do only things for the show, you know, to us, it's the greater community of, of saltwater fishing is what our entire brand is built around. So, you know, you can go subscribe to the, the blood on the deck show or blood on the decks, uh, Facebook page, and you'll you'll get some funny things and you'll get some cool things and you'll get some informational things. One of the things we're currently hooked on right now is the international game fish association has started releasing, uh, vintage sports fishing, uh, essentially little documentary, mini, mini clips. And we share those through our profile. And it's, nice. again, it's about getting people involved in this whole community mm. of sports fishing and, and incorporating in the veterans and first responders to that community.
0: We are supported by Arial Digital. Aerial Digital is a full-service digital marketing agency that specializes in custom-designed websites for small to medium-sized businesses. Whether you need a simple one-page bootstrap website or you're ready to start selling your products online with an e-commerce website, Arial Digital is equipped to help your business. Go to aerialdigitalmarketingcom newnormal. That's A-R-I-E-L digitalmarketing.com slash new normal and save 20 percent on your custom website today john what are your top five favorite ocean-based movies ocean
1: bait movies base ocean-based movies okay yeah. uh all-time favorite forever and always is captain ron it's yeah. A, yeah, are you, you familiar with Captain Ron? Oh, God, yes. Kurt Russell is my spirit <laughs> animal in that movie. <laughs> Captain Ron! Oh <laughs> uh, Yeah, no, I, I watched that at least, at least three times a year. Oh, my goodness. And I actually think I have it on VHS, too. I, I God,
0: that's know. a throwback.
1: Uh, that one, that one takes, takes number one easily. Wow. Uh, let's see, number two oh perfect storm was great Ooh, it was great dang. film about a real you know one of the real hazards of commercial fishing right you know it was a real story it was a, it was a great movie it was extremely well executed um i don't think that you can count Castaway as sure. a ocean can you can you because it's more of an island-based Not a not an ocean base. Island is in an ocean. But he
2: fished (laughs) literally the whole time. He's not Um, eating He's eating fish
0: (laughs) or talking to a ball. He
1: spears him nonetheless. (laughs) Hey, listen. There there are many there are many many times during the filming of this TV show. I just wanted to go like curl up in the tuna (laughs) tower with a volleyball and talk to it and try to get my stresses and. and alleviate everything that was going on. I I swear God, get a there, were, there were a couple of times up. that, that <laughs> some people were this close to getting thrown over the boat. <laughs> That's funny.
0: So we got Captain Ron, Perfect Storm, Castaway. Two more. Um,
1: two more. Two more. Geez, Louise, I don't. Um, ironically, I'm not a very big fan of any of the uh, reality TV fishing shows that are out there which is why I guess I had to kind of go make my own. Mm. <laughs> um, actually, for, for pure comedic value, and I hate to even mention this, but I love to watch it just to make fun of the people, that, uh, what was the one with the hippies that were, that were trying to stop the whalers there's a cheap oh, oh What was that called? Sea Shepherd, those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah Those people. Uh, they have like the night rider the, boat. The boat whale people? I used to, some some buddies of mine and I used to watch that and drink beer and just laugh our rear ends off at how absurd those people were. Whale wars. Um,
2: that nonsense. Whale wars. That's it. Whale
1: wars. No, that's talking I don't,
0: about don't, a show that introduced drama <laughs> for the sake of drama.
1: Right? Right. Uh, oh, I just got shot. No, you didn't.
0: But no, the I, I wouldn't I wouldn't add
1: that to my favorite list. That's kind of like like a guilty pleasure that you just want people about. Uh uh so let's see, two more. Um so, so
0: no deep blue ocean, no uh, oh, whoa, Samuel whoa, Jackson. Oh I
1: got one. Here's here's a throwback no to my love childhood for Jaws. days. Throwback to my childhood days, the incredible Mr. Limpet. Ooh, I don't Don know. Don With Don Knotts, it was a Disney movie.
2: Well, I, I in that he's uh he, he like becomes a cartoon he becomes fish. a fish.
1: Yeah, yeah, I fish. remember that from from yep. when I was a kid. Yeah.
2: Yep.
1: Yep. 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 There's a throwback. I used to love that one. And then let's say last one is probably 100 percent. 100 percent. Definitely not Pearl Harbor. That movie was terrible. <sighs> um. Actually, I'll give I'll give my last one to Hopeful, the uh the new Tom Hanks movie that's coming out. About the uh, about the submarine spotters. Oh, nice! I'll, I'll like, give that? I'll give that a hopeful.
2: Did you? Uh, that that actually does look really good. The the guys uh, that uh, had to combat the wolf pack. Yeah. Um, did you like uh, Midway?
1: Oh. M- Midway is in like the old the, old- the remake. Now the old one is a classic. Everyone yeah, I've, loves it. I've, I've never, that, I've never seen the remake. That movie no, didn't
0: know where not. it wanted to go. Like it didn't know if it wanted to be Pearl Harbor Part Two, or it, it didn't know if it wanted I, to be like Titanic I remember and, seeing and, and epic.
1: I thought it was pretty good. I, I actually thought Midway <laughs> was pretty good. I remember seeing the commercial and immediately going, "Dear God, they're doing another Pearl Harbor." That's how I yeah, came to
2: it, it. It was, no, well, it was better than Pearl Harbor. I got to give it that. It was better than Pearl Harbor. Um, I actually think it was pretty decent. I thought it was pretty good. I, I, I honestly think a, a lot of things people are like, oh, that's kind of cheesy the way they act. But I think like, if you had hung around your grandparents back then in like the 40s, you'd have been like, wow, y'all are kind of cheesy because you say like <laughs> Golly gee and stuff like that. But, but I, I thought it was pretty good.
0: I don't know that they G, cast it. A... I
1: talk on a normal basis.
0: I don't know that they casted the right (laughs) leading man for that. Not not only the fact that I didn't, I mean, name recognition isn't a big thing, but I think the leading man for me was a little over the top. And and maybe that goes into kind of like the George Lucas directing of, of the original Star Wars, where it was supposed to be campy and old school. And yeah. and now that you, you kind of give your assessment of it, maybe it was supposed to be over the top and old school and campy.
2: I think it was. I think it was because I think that's how we would view these people back then. Watching them, they would seem kind of old fashioned and, you know. Right. It's like you listen to I, those old I, I, radio I, I, programs. Naive, you know.
0: And here's wires yeah. really from that, the from the Pacific. Exactly. <laughs> it's
2: like Paul Harvey. If you listen to Paul Harvey today, if if people didn't grow up listening to to Paul Harvey, uh, and this is the news, you know, it's like people people wouldn't understand him. They'd be like, "Who is this preacher?" You know, <laughs> like <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. old school Walter Cronkite sort of. Good night and good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. No, I guess that's that's a limitation for me because I actually don't watch a lot of war movies Mm -hmm. it's actually a genre i do not enjoy i don't watch law enforcement movies i don't don't watch military movies Mm -hmm. i i watch predominantly comedies because if i wanted extra drama and stress i would just look at my real life
2: (laughs) (laughs) i my wife started to re-watch the band of brothers series it's like
0: having experienced
2: and witnessed a lot of violence I, i i just Man, I just can't get into them anymore. Like, I really just can't. I I, yep. I don't. I don't. It's not my thing anymore. It used to be, now it's not.
1: Yep. And that even affects me in video games, right? Because you know you have buddies that are all saying, "Hey, let's play Call of Duty," and I'll play I it for play about it, five minutes, and I'm like, "This isn't fun." <laughs> no,
2: I don't like it. I mean, like uh, my brothers, you know, they're they're both vets. Uh, they're younger than me, you know, and they they love video games and they constantly wanted me to play with them and it's like man i just don't like this i don't know i can't i can't tell you why i don't like it but it's just like i would rather either actually be doing something like this or have nothing to do with it I don't, i'd like, rather be go out on a hand. kayak
1: throwing lines
2: yeah yeah exactly and and that's what i tell them i'm like man you know at the end of your life you're not going to sit back and think man i'm so glad i upgraded those weapons on duty. <laughs> That height of isn't my that, life isn't right that a whole there. new I'm sport now? So i spent hours. Isn't that a whole yeah, new sport did. now?
1: Like they have an NCAA like league for that? Do they not?
0: Yeah. tournaments. Yeah,
1: it's crazy. Yeah. Look at me now. Dad said playing video games never amounts to anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Those kids are making crazy money though. Like yeah, I had heard
1: some of that. That's that's, that's insane. ridiculous. But again, I'll I'll stick to sports fishing tournaments. Yeah,
0: you're talking about six million dollars right there.
1: yeah and the bisbee black and blue but i'll tell you what it is a ton of work yeah it's one of the things again uh you'll you'll see it you'll see it in the show if you decide to to tune in and watch it how many Um, episodes yeah so it's 10 episodes it's 10 episodes per season so the eight episodes, the first eight episodes are our internal tournament and the last two episodes are the winning team and their actual tournament in the in or their competition in the national tournament Um, And I'm not going to tell you who won. So there, Um,
0: no spoiler alert, needed. you have
1: to, you have to watch the show for that. Um, But there is definitely a couple of times where you'll see these guys getting the fighting chair, thinking that they're big, bad, tough, you know, firefighters, police officers, military guys, and about. Twenty minutes into fighting a three four hundred pound marlin, <laughs> they're pretty much hurt. smoked, and they're they're asking for a break. <laughs> and that's one of the the things about tournament rules is once you're in the chair, that's it. Nobody else is allowed to touch your touch your rig until they leader it. Oh, it has wow. to be caught one hundred percent by you, and it is. As somebody that's that's landed a couple of different granders in my life, granders is a, a marlin that's over a thousand pounds. Um, As somebody that's landed a couple of granders in my life, it is, it is a, a soul searching experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you're in a fighting chair for five, six hours. And by the end of it, your, your leg muscles are cramping, your back muscles are cramping, your forearms are toast. It's a, it's a, it's a beating. (laughs) Oh yeah. You know, you go right to bed. That's another (laughs) thing. These guys, I think, uh, One one of the teams, you'll see one of the guys, actually, I think he caught the first Marlin of the tournament and uh, immediately went in to the little salon area, laid down on the couch, put a blanket over his head, and went to sleep. (laughs) And his team captain sitting there messing with him saying, oh, I thought you were this big tough guy. And he's (laughs) like, leave me alone. Nice.
0: Don, if you had a billboard that you're not advertising the show, but you wanted to send a message out to everybody... What would be that message on the billboard?
1: Screw everybody, live your life. <laughs> I think that's six words, isn't it? <laughs> and you can you can oh, wait, did you say six words? I thought it was the
0: billboard. No, we we talked to a CEO the other day that answered the same question, and his uh the marketing. Um, plan behind that is generally you're supposed to keep it within 6 to 7 words for a billboard to be effective and I think you so
1: screw everybody live your own life that's six words right there you go <laughs> Dot .com yeah and you know the great the great thing about that statement is you can kind of apply it to anything right yeah. doesn't have like to a do a, yeah, it's yeah it's a catch all it's a catch all yeah it is we'll be uh, we'll be putting on the we'll be putting those on shirts and selling them through the website there you go <laughs> Speaking of, John, tell everybody where they can find you one more time. Okay, so you can find information about the TV show at www.bloodonthedeck.com or follow us on Facebook, which is facebook.com backslash blood on the deck.
0: Awesome. John, we want to thank you so much for this opportunity to talk to you to talk about the show. I'm definitely interested. I'm going to queue it up on my Amazon as soon as I get off the show and uh, dig deep into these 10 episodes. I love those short story episode, episodic uh, seasons where it's not like 32 long episodes, you just get into it. So I'm really looking forward to it. So I want to acknowledge you for for the just passion that you're bringing to this organization, the passion that you're bringing to these other veterans and law enforcement and firefighters that are needing this sort of therapy, this unplugging, and giving them the opportunity to kind of reconnect. So I just, I want to acknowledge you and your team and everybody that's involved And uh, I want to praise you for, for the great job that you're doing. And I wish you so much success and I'd love to see season two, three, so on and so forth. Um, And then maybe one day we can get Quentin and I out there and see how, how absolutely weak we are.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. You know that, that, you know, all, all, everything you just said means, means the absolute world to me. That's, that's the reason why, why we do what we do. And uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on the program and letting me get the word out there for the TV show. Can't thank it's you been guys enough. Absolutely, man, it's
2: been a pleasure.
1: All right. As always, for me.
0: as always, stay safe and welcome to the new normal.